Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on JRoot Radio Live. A few weeks before Hanukkah, Be'ezat Hashem, the following two classes will be on the subject of Hanukkah or the Halakha pertaining to Hanukkah. And before we begin the class, let's first give you the dates for the holiday of Hanukkah. This year, Hanukkah 2015, year 50, Shanat 5776, Tafshin Ain Vav. The dates, we'll talk about the times a little bit later on in the class. The dates are Sunday night, December 6th. I think about two weeks from now, a week and a half from now, we will have the first night of Hanukkah, which means we'll be lighting on Sunday night. That'll be the first time we will be lighting. And eight days later, that is, the last night that we'll be lighting for this year will be Sunday night, December 13th exactly. A week later will be Zoys Hanukkah, the eighth night of Hanukkah. And of course, that means that Monday, December 14th, will be the last day of Hanukkah. The following class, Merzat Hashem, will speak without, from outside the Benish High. We won't speak, be speaking from inside the Benish High. All the Halachot will be outside. We've organized the class that should be neat and clear, Merzat Hashem. Hopefully, it'll be clear in all the halachot that we need to know regarding Hanukkah. Of course, many, many other halachot that we can fully discuss, but the main halachot that are pertaining to us, plus, of course, as we usually do, we'll try to explain why the halakha is that way, the different opinions and minhagim regarding it. So before we get to the actual class, let's just tell you what we will be discussing. There are basically six parts of the class that will take over that will probably take place in two classes. Number one is a brief historical background. Number two is setting up the menorah. Number three, time, the time when we must light the menorah, the Hanukkah candles. Number four is the actual lighting, the order of lighting, how we should light. Number five is special cases in Hanukkah, meaning to say when people travel or whatever they have to go. And finally, the miscellaneous halachot that we need to know, or minhagim of Hanukkah, will be in the last and final category. Let's begin with a little bit of a brief historical background, just a little bit, because we are talking about Hanukkah. So, as all the halachot usually bring, chafhei bechislev, about the miracle that took place. In short, basically, during the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, right in the middle of the time when the second Beit HaMikdash was up, Hazal tell us that the Greeks dominated the Jewish people. The government, although it was run by the Jewish people, but really they were working for the Greeks. It was Galut Yavan, and it got very bad for the Jewish people. What happened is that the Jewish people were not only you know, ruled by another nation, but many, many Jewish people, especially the aristocrats, the Kohanim, the leaders, unfortunately were Mityavnim. They were all swept away by this new wave of modernism of the Greeks, what they introduced to the world. And therefore, in areas where it conflicted with halakha or conflicted with the Torah, unfortunately, many of these Jews were metiavnim, they took the side of the Greeks. To the point that the tzara became a physical tzara, and the Greeks decreed that even the mitzvot cannot be kept. You cannot keep Shabbat. You cannot keep Rosh Hodesh. You cannot celebrate when the new month is, which is going to set the calendar for when the holidays are going to be. You may not circumcise yourself. You cannot circumcise the boys, no Brit Milah, and no Tamu Torah, and you can't learn Torah. That didn't take away everything. 
because that was the cleverness of the Greeks, is that they didn't want that the Jewish people should make a rebellion. They took away, they chipped away from a few Muslims here and there, until finally you had a few people, and Hazat Allah, a few people who said, you know, this is enough. How long are we going to keep up? How, how can we live th- like this? How can we live as Jews without Torah, without Shabbat, without Bitwilah? And they started a rebellion. 13 people started a whole rebellion that eventually people joined them. And they went out to war against the mighty Greek army with Bittahon, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as we said in the Al Nisim, the Greek army was defeated. The great mighty Greek army was defeated by the small, un, uh, basically very, very weak army of the Jewish people. Why? Because they came with Sayyidat Ishmael. But the miracles didn't stop there. When they went to the Beit HaMikdash, they wanted to light the menorah as they usually do, and they found that the candles were all touched by the goyim, they all became tameh, except for one. One jug of oil, which was able to last for one night, as the halakha tells us, you must light the menorah, bin Arbaim, right before the sun sets, and it stays lit throughout the whole night. One jug was there, and it was good enough to light, but it was only for one night, and you need really uh, for seven. So what happened? Instead of bargaining, where the halakha tells us, we have a leniency, if you want... You could, you could, you could use something that's tameh when you have no other choice. You're stuck, especially it's something for the tzibur. Everybody's tameh. However, they didn't want to bargain. They said, you know what? We want to make sure to make this point. They went ahead and they sent somebody out to go get them a new jug of oil. It took them about seven days till they finally got hold of the new oil. And as a result, the jug of oil, which was supposed to last for one night, lasted for eight nights. This is a little bit of a background. A very quick lesson that we learn from here is, is that really the theme of Hanukkah is by the second miracle. There are two miracles. The miracle of the oil and the miracle of the war. Hazal instituted that we only commemorate the miracle of the oil. How come? What about the miracle of the war? You know, the small Jewish army defeated the great mighty army of the, of the Greeks. And the answer is because there's a message with the miracle of the oil. What is that message? The message is that the Jews did not bargain on mitzvot. They didn't bargain on the mitzvah and then bargain on the quality of the mitzvah. And that's a big lesson. That's a lesson for all future generations. Hanukkah, as the Hadushah Arim and Sfarim point out, that we most people come off of the holiday of Sukkot with a vigor. They're inspired. They come from Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot on a very big high, Samhat Torah, and they're all excited. But eventually that excitement wears off, and before we know it, it's already Hanukkah. What? It's Hanukkah? What happened? I had goals, I, I, I wanted... Already, you know, the inspiration kind of dies out. That spark of light that comes during the, the time of Hanukkah is a reminder for all of us that, remember what we said in, Hanuk- in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we wanted to become better people. We didn't want to settle on the lifestyle that we had till now. We wanted to become better people. Let's remember those goals. Let's go forward. Let's go ahead and be re-energized from the lights of the Hanukkah to not bargain on Mizzot, to not settle, not let the Yisrael tell us, this is the way you are. 
That's it. You gotta you gotta live with it. That's the way you are. That's where you're gonna be. You're not gonna change. You're not gonna become any better. No, 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 no. We don't we don't want to be so mech on the bidiyabad. We want to do everything in the khatala. And that's why the whole mitzvah of Hanukkah, as we will see, there are ways that you can be yotzei abad one candle. Just light one candle. And you can put it anywhere, especially with the minhag of lighting inside. You can put it anywhere. And you don't have to worry about the time. You can light from, as we're going to see, you can light any time you want from the beginning of, uh, from already plugging minhag, all the way until Alot al-Shahar, you have she taught, and what's the problem? What are you spending two weeks on halakhot for? The two weeks of halakhot are just to explain the lechat hila. What's the best way to light the menorah? When I could have finished the whole class by telling you, Rabbi from December 6th till onwards, whenever Hanukkah starts, make sure you light the menorah, you light one candle, and you're good. No. The whole point is that we want to do it the best way. And that is the lesson of the candles. And that's the lesson of Hanukkah for all ages. Let's get to second part of the, the halakhot of this class. And that is the way we set up the menorah. In this section, we will speak about the location of the menorah in our houses, basically residential. The location of the menorah in shuls and... The height of the menorah, that means how you set it up, how tall does it have to be. And finally, the types of oils that one uses for the menorah. As a rule, we want to begin with the halakha. The halakha is, Hadlaka or Hazal tell us, and that's halakha in Shohan Aruch, that when it comes to the nerot of Hanukkah, it's not that you should have light. It's not like nerot Shabbat, you need to have light on Shabbat so you're able to see, so you can enjoy Shabbat better. The Nerot of Hanukkah, the lighting itself, the action of lighting is the mitzvah. Hadlaka wasa mitzvah. Which means you must prepare your menorah and set it up in the location where it has to be. And then afterwards, you should, be, you should light the menorah. Hazal tell us, for example, as we'll learn later on, that according to most opinions, the menorah must be lit for at least a half an hour. So, you have to fill it up with oil. You have to fill the cups with oil. Don't light and then afterwards decide, you know what, let me fill it up with oil. Go ahead and fill it up first with oil that should be ready to be lit for half an hour and then go ahead and light. When you're coming to fulfill the mitzvah of Nerot Hanukkah, make sure that you first set it up properly and then you madlik. This, by the way, applies... I'll give you two examples of the surah al-Dakaw Samazvah. Now, for example, we're going to learn that the candles cannot be too low. So you know those flat candles or uh, those flat menorah? The flat menorah, basically, it's about, I don't know, two inches tall, three inches tall. So let's say, for example, you have such a menorah and you're lighting it on uh, Hanukkah. If you put it on the floor, it's within... Three tefahim to the floor, it's pasul. So let's say somebody comes and he lights his menorah on the floor, outside, and in front of his house, and it's on the street level. Somebody tells him, it's, hey, what are you doing? This is, this is, you know, this is pasul, this is too low. So in such a case, what do you do? So if you take up the menorah, if you take the menorah, and then afterwards you would pick it up and put it in the right location, it would be pasul. Why? Because you picked it up when it was already lit. 
You have to light it in the right location. So the halakha tells us you must shut it off, put it in the right location, and then make a beracha again and light it. Why? Because where you lit it was not was not a, was not according to halakha. Next, another example. Another example is if one lit the menorah in the right place. And then by accident, the kids knocked in and it shut off. But before the half an hour, the minimum of half an hour, so in such a case, the deen would be is that you are yotzei dehubah. Why? Because when you came to light it, it was already in the right place. And by your lighting, you already fulfilled the mitzvah. This is the rule of hadlaka or samizvah. Therefore, when we come over here to light our menorah, we have to know this, that it's important where we set up the menorah. You can't light wherever you want and then take it to the place that you want to that that you want to put it there. You have to know where to set up first. To understand this, to understand where exactly we should place our our menorah and our houses, we're going to go through pretty much almost all the types of houses that people live in. So make sure you listen to hear where your particular house is, and you'll know exactly how to set up your menorah. The purpose of the location of the menorah is to publicize the miracle. You know, usually we're very humble and modest. We don't like to, you know, publicize what we do, not the misvot that we do, not the uh, Torah that we learn. But when it comes to the menorah, when it comes to the holiday of Hanukkah, Hazal told us, no, go out of your way and put it outside, publicize it. And therefore the location of the menorah depends on really where the greatest publicity will be for this lighting. You have to place him in a play in a in a way where it will be most visible to anybody that's walking in the street. That's the original takana. So therefore, if you look inside the halakha and shohan aruch, and that comes really from the gemara, the location was based on how the houses were built in their days. So let's go a little bit back in time. In the days of the hakamim, most houses were built like the way we have storefronts, which means they were built to the end of the property. And when it came to light the menorah, Hazal told us you have to put it by the front door of your house. Not in the doorway, right in front of it, within the tefa, within eight centimeters in front of your house. So this way, anybody who was walking in the street will right away see your menorah. And that's the way the halakha is brought down in Shohan Haruch. And that's the way it was in those days. It was the most public way. In fact, the halakha tells us if your menorah outside on Hanukkah, damages somebody who's walking in the street, you're patur, you're exempt from, his, from the damage that you cause because that's the location of the menorah. That's where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be outside so everybody could see it. However, over time, there were, unfortunately, as you could tell right away, you know, if you're going to light and you're in galut, it's not going to be so gishmak for the goyim and not so happy when they see Jewish people celebrating their religion in front of their faces, especially the lighting of the menorah, it's too much publicity. So because of times when the Jews either had to be in, in hiding, I mean to say they had to hide the fact that they were Jews, or even when the people knew that they were Jews, but they couldn't, uh, quote-unquote, stick it in their face. They couldn't do the mizbot in the faces of the goyim. So therefore the halakha told us, or the minhag became, that everybody would light inside the houses. They didn't publicize it outside. So what do I mean? But the whole point of the mitzvah is to publicize it. So Svarim explained, yeah, they did publicize it. They publicized it to the people inside of their house. Until today, the people have such a minhag. 
So when we tell you right now, for example, the location of where you should put your menorah, that's assuming you don't have a menhag or you never really had a, uh, a real menhag. I mean, they say, some people they say, oh, that's my menhag. Where did your menhag come from? Because one day you woke up, you decided, you know, I'm going to do it this way. You've been doing it this way for the last 10 years, and all of a sudden that became your minhag. So such a minhag, we all know, is not really a minhag. It's just that's what you decided. You didn't know any better. That doesn't make it a minhag, as our Moshe brings down in Grot Moshe. A minhag means that you have a tradition from your new, and he says, this is the way it works. This is how we do it. We have a mesora, and this is how it's supposed to be done. Right, but when you just happen to do because you don't know any better, that's not minhag. So if you would like to know the best place according to Shohan Aruch and the Poskim, that's what we're talking about. The locations that are mentioned here, based on where you live, are based on this point: is that you don't have a minhag. If you have a minhag, which is kavua, which you know is based on halakha, is founded in halakha, stick to your minhag or ask your rabbi, ask your community exactly what to do. Here we're saying according to Shohan Aruch and Nachronim. Let's take the first type of house. First type of house is. A single family house, a single family house when you're the only tenant there, or let's say you live on the first floor apartment. Okay, so where's the best location to light? And remember, as I keep on stressing this, this is all lechatchila. This is the best possible place that you could do. And I'm going to list if you could do it. And I'm going to list a few uh, order of things. Obviously, the one that's higher on the chart, that's the most preferable place. So the best place, if you really have a house, believe it or not, is to put it by the front door of the front yard. I mean to say, most houses that are in our neighborhood, like over here in Brooklyn, if you have a single family house, you probably have a front yard as well. I think the low is that you have to build 30 feet within your property. If you have an older house, maybe not, but that's pretty much the law. So therefore, because of that, so most people have a front yard. And if you have a gate to your front yard, so you're supposed to put it by the doorway of the gate to your front yard. That's really, according to Halakha, the best preferable place to put the menorah. However, it may not be the best place, according to Halakha, for several reasons. Number one is because you might be worried that somebody might steal it from you. So the Darke Moshe, in Siman Tafesh Aleph, in Halchatet, he says, how come there's no hek to light on the inside? Because, he says, they were listing the robbers, and they were scared that they're going to steal their menorah, so therefore they started lighting on the inside. So, Acham brings also from other Rishonim, I believe Rab Haigaon, some other major Rishonim that say the same words, and that's a Psaq If you believe that if you're going to light it by the front door of your gate, it's gonna, it, might, it might get stolen, so then you don't have to leave, you don't have to light it. You can light even on, you can bring it inside your house or bring it closer to your house, that is. Another reason why you may not want to light in the front of your gate, remember we said the best area that you can light is an area where it can be most publicized. And this, my Habutara Baidayam pointed out to me, today most people are walking in the street, nobody's walking the street at night. Not nobody, I want to say nobody. Very few people. Most people are probably driving by, which means that the street level is not to be judged from the sidewalk, but from the street where the cars drive. When you drive in a car in the middle of the street, the most visible place is not in the front door of your front yard. Rather, it's the front door of your house 
here in the, in the area of Brooklyn, where, which you know has a few steps up. That's what's most visible to people from the cars. And even when people are walking by, they'll see that probably more likely than by the front door of the front gate. So therefore, for these two reasons, if you're scared somebody's going to seal it, or that you don't even have a gate in front of your house. You know, you ha- some people have a front yard without a gate. Or because there's cars blocking, the parked cars are going to be blocking the view of your menorah, you may place it in the f- front, right in front of your front door walking into your house. Even though that's, you can tell me that's Chitat Rashi, but the way the situation is, that will be probably according to all opinions. In a case where you live in a corner, if you live in a corner of a house, you're on a, so then, which side do you put it? And the answer is, whichever side is more public. That's the same rule again. You want to publicize the as much as possible. So, for example, usually, not always a rule, but usually, if a person lives in a corner where one side of his house is an avenue, the other side is a side street, so usually the avenue is a more public place than the side street is. So the side of the house which is facing the avenue, that's where you place your menorah. If both these situations are not possible, that means for whatever reason you cannot place it in the front door of your house, then you should display in menorah in the front window of your house. Again, the front meaning to say whatever is facing the street. In that case, that would probably be, that's your next best option in the front window of your house, which is, makes it the most public place. Question now is like this. I have a menorah and I usually display it in the front window of my house. Why don't I put it in the front door of my house? You know why? Because Not because I'm scared of somebody's going to steal it. I'm scared it's going to shut off. But maybe if I would buy myself a glass case or a plexi plastic case, so maybe in such a case, I wouldn't, you know, if I buy such a case, it wouldn't shut off. Do I have an obligation now to go buy a box to make sure that my menorah should not shut off? Yes or no? The answer is, the post can bring down, no. Why? Hakimin did not want to burn in the person. Instead, you have to light it. If you can figure out a way that's not going to shut off, light it. But if you have to go through a whole terhat to buy a box and everything else, no, you don't have to. Is it preferable? 100% it's preferable. The poskim bring down that Baruch Hashem today that we have permission and we don't have a fear of lighting or displaying Aminah in public. It'll be a great mitzvah if a person should, could buy himself those boxes that could, uh, you know, bl- block out the air that you should be able to light on the front door of your house. Again, if it's possible. Minhadin, no, you're not required minhadin, but it's certainly preferable and recommended. Okay, that is a person who has a single family house or he lives in the first floor apartment. Where exactly in the side of the door will be discussed at the shame in one of the latest sections of the class. Let's say now you live on a second floor apartment. And I'm assuming your second floor apartment, the window is obviously to the street and people could see from your window, from the front window of your house. And keep this in mind, your house is also within, or means with the window where you're displaying your menorah, it's within 31 feet from ground level, which is about 20 amot. In that case, guess what? That's where you're going to place your menorah. If you have a balcony... That's in the front part of your house, and you live on the second floor. So the mitzvah is to put it in the balcony where people could see it. Because if you put it maybe in the window, maybe nobody could see it. So it all depends on the person's house. If you have a window, 
and that's facing the street and everybody can see from the window, so you place it in the window. If you have a balcony that's facing the street and the window is not so visible, so try to put it, you're supposed to put it in on the balcony. But if, again, if you put it in the balcony, it's going to shut off, it's not going to last because the wind is going to blow it and it's too much of a burden for you to go buy yourself a box, so then your next option would be to place it in the window. Next, what if a person lives in an apartment that's higher, that's higher than 31 feet? And let's say, for example, a person lives in an apartment building, let's give a number, on the fourth floor. That's higher than 31 feet from the ground. That's basically above 20 amot. It's even above 38 feet, which is according to the Hazon Ish, I believe. That's how much uh, the 20 amot is. So the question then of how could you, could you light? The answer is as follows. If you see that your apartment building or wherever you, your window is facing, the, the, the window that's facing the street is open, it's exposed to other people living as high, Mean to say, so let's say you live in an apartment building on the sixth floor, and where your window is facing, you have another apartment building also on the sixth floor. Or you have a building that only has four floors, but it's within 20 or more to the other guy over there who lives on the fourth floor. So then you light it in the window facing the other people who live on the higher, uh, on, on the upper floors. However, if let's say you live in the city on the 36th floor, and you're one of those buildings that you don't have any other apartment buildings that high. So in that case, if you display in the window, it's pointless because who are you pointing it to? Nobody can see it. It's above 20 amot. So in that case, you might as well just slide it inside of your house, either by the front door when you walk into your house, as some people have the minhag of they still light inside the house, or other poskim bring down, that you can light it when you come into the building, you know, the... Most apartment buildings, when you come in, they have these glass doors. If somehow you could secure your menorah over there, then nobody could steal it. And you can light over there, since it will be publicized to the people who walk in and, in and out of the building, you should light it there, since you also have permission. You know, that's also part of your ownership of that building. That's how the poskim bring it down. Now, the most, uh, not complicated, but difficult area will be, or at least where you can make it so public, is if a person lives either in a basement without any windows facing outside, or if a person lives in the back apartment, you know, sometimes you have an apartment that it's split in half, the back apartment is facing the back of another house, and there's no windows over there, or it's facing just a dead area where nobody is walking by over there. So in that case, where you have no window that's that's for uh, for anybody in the street to be able to see your menorah. Basically, you can't display your menorah. In that case, you have no other choice but to leave it by the door of your house. You still light it. And as we'll discuss later, you light it also with a beracha. Next. Lighting in the shul. Where do we display the location of the menorah now when we're lighting in the shul? Where do we place the menorah in the shul? So before we get to the location of the menorah, I want to tell you, speak a little bit about the minhag of lighting in the shul. Where does it come from that we light in the shul? Which Gemara says that you have to light in the shul? Look, you look very well. You won't find anywhere that says in Shas that you should light in the shul. Where is it brought down? The Rishonim. Rishonim to talk about a minhag kadmon, an old minhag of lighting in the shul. A very old minhag. What's the reason? If it's not born in the Gemara, how are we lighting? What's the reason? Where did this minhag come from? What's the reason for it? 
So some explain that the reason of the minhag is because the reason of the minhag is because in the olden days, if, if those who study shas, the guests who would come to the city, they would have they would sleep in the shul. The shul had special rooms for those for those guests. So since those people didn't have houses except for there, so they light it in the shul for those guests. That's how. Well, that's one reason to give them minhag. Another reason to give them minhag is, as we mentioned earlier, there was a point when it was shat sakana. There's a point when it became very, very dangerous for the Jewish people to light outside, out of fear, out of whatever it may be. They didn't light outside in those in, the, in those days, so they lit inside. And we said, if you're lighting inside, how are you publicizing the miracle? So the way they would publicize the miracle is that they would do it in the shul. Everybody comes to shul, and in front of the Hamon Am, you have 200 people praying, whatever it may be, 50 people in the city. They would light the menorah with the beracha to publicize the miracle of the place during Hanukkah. That's the reasons are given for the menhag in the shuls. Now the question the poskim asks is, one second, Maran, Shohan Aruch, the Sfaradim, we don't make a beracha on Hallel, we read Hallel and Ashkenazim also read Hallel and Rosh Hodesh. All Jews read Hallel and Rosh Hodesh. But the Ashkenazim make a bracha al-kiriat Hallel and Sfaradim, most Sfaradim do not. Turkish Sfaradim, they do make a bracha. They have a minhag to make a bracha. But we don't make a bracha. Why not? Maran says we don't make a bracha. You know why? Because it's a minhag. So if it's a minhag, we don't make a bracha on a minhag just like we don't make a bracha when we whack the Aravot on um, why now are we making beracha on the lighting of the menorah in the shul? That's a question that's brought in front of all the poskim. And they answer, you know why? There's a difference. The menhag in the shul is not just a regular menhag. It's a menhag plus it's a pursuum of the miracle. It's a, pub- it's a publicity for the miracle. So together, because it's there to publicize the miracle... So therefore, we make a beracha on it. But Stam regular Menhag, we don't make a beracha on it. So you see that making beracha on the lighting in the shul is not such a simple thing. It's not such a simple thing to go ahead and start lighting. It, but we do it. It's a Menhag. 100% we, sh- we should do it and we have to do it. And therefore, if a person has a shul where they're praying Menhan Arbit on a regular schedule or even where they have night classes as long as they have a tefillah also on a regular basis. Listen, sometimes people won't show up and you won't have a minyan. But on a regular, on a regular basis, since they usually have minyan and tefillah of Arbit at that time and they have a, a night seder right beforehand, you will light the menorah with a beracha. However, the poskim bring down that one should avoid lighting the menorah during weddings or during uh, religious gatherings. Let's say, for example, you're making an asifa, you want to make a fundraiser. You want to make a fundraiser, you want to make a fundraiser for a very worthy organization, for yeshiva, for a hesed organization. So now you have a religious gathering of 100, 200 people. You say, wow, you know what? Let me publicize the miracle. You have a shi'ur, 500 people are showing up. Let me publicize the miracle. If there's no tefillah bekbi'ut on a regular basis over there, you can't just go ahead and light the menorah with the beracha. Why? What do you mean this? I have a thousand people in this wedding. It doesn't make a difference. But we, well, how come we, we, we make a beracha during the lighting in the shul? It's also minhag. There's a difference. Over there, the minhag, like we said, 
was there was an old manhag, but over here to go ahead and light it, a person should try to avoid lighting you with a beracha. You want to light it without a beracha? Light it without a beracha, but do not light with a beracha. Okay, now in the shul, you have a shul that has teflot, that has prayers on a regular basis. Where do you set up the menorah? Where do you place it? So the poskim bring down that since we find in the Gemara that the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash was placed on the southern wall, in the Darom, in the south. You don't have to go to the Gemara, it's a homash, it's a mifrash pasuk. Likewise, you should place your menorah also on the southern wall. So it depends which way you face. If the kahal faces east, as we do here in Brooklyn, so then you'll have the menorah on the right side of the wall. That's where south is. If the kahal faces west, don't ask me why. Let's say you're in different parts of the world, you're listening to this, and you're facing west, so it'll be on the left side of the wall, and of course, you'll adjust it properly. So that's where you're supposed to put the menorah. The question now is, okay, I'm facing east, that's where I pray my Amida, which means that on my right, I'm going to place the menorah. Okay? So fine, I'm going to place the menorah on my right, but how do I set it up? Do I set up the menorah lined up from east to west? Or do I set up the menorah lined up from north to south? Right? You understand how the menorah will be facing me? That means if I'm sitting in the back, will I see all the eight menorot in front of me? Or will I see a line of the menorah? This is actually a mahlokit. But Maran Johan Aruch, or the Ramah, also brings down that it should be set up from east to west. That's a preferable way. If there's Kehillot that set up a different way, that they set up from north to south, yes, that Malmah is working, the other she taught as well. But the preferable way, remember we're talking about here, it should be set up from east to west. That's how one should set up the menorah. Again, on the southern wall, and it should be set up from east to west. Kehillah that has other Menhagim, they also have their sources. This is the way it's brought down in the Shuhan Aruch. Next, we have to speak about is the height of the menorah. How high does the menorah have to be? And when we talk about over here the height of the menorah, we want to emphasize that it's talking about specifically the flames. Not the actual, let's say you have a big, huge menorah. You bought one of those big silver menorot, a very tall one, two feet, three feet tall. I've even seen six, seven feet tall, you know, five feet tall, really. So these are big menorot. We don't care how big your actual menorah is. We care where the flame is. So when we talk about here about the height of the menorah, we're emphasizing. It's talking about the flame, where the flame is. So if you're putting your menorah in the window, like we said, as long as your window is below 20 amor from the, from the floor, which is below 31 feet, so you can put the menorah anywhere. If your window is just borderline, so make sure the flames are within 20 amor from street level. If you're placing it by the door, that's when it gets a little bit complicated because when you're placing it by the front door of your house, and let's say you have, like we said, like a straight flat door, so over there, the preferable way, the, the best spot should be between 10 to 32 inches from the ground. That's about 3 to 10 tefahim. 3 to 10 tefahim is about 10 to 32 inches. That's the best, best location. Again, the flame. Below 10 inches, already it's as pasul. Make sure your flame is above 
three tefahim, which is above 10 inches. It should not be below 10 inches, otherwise it will be pasul. If you have to go higher than 10 tefahim for whatever reason, it's kasher. Remember, the highest it could go is 31 feet from the, from the ground. So if you're putting it by the first floor, you're not going that high anyway. When it's a case where you have very high walls or you're living in a higher floor, like we said, then it makes a difference. It shouldn't be 31 feet to the people walking outside if you're displaying to the outside. But if your display of the menorah is only for the people inside your house, that means you're publicizing the miracle for the people inside your house, then it could be as high as you want from the floor of your house as long as it's within 31 feet. And I highly doubt, I'm sure that you could find, but I highly doubt that you'll find a person's house where he has 31 feet ceilings. Possible, but highly doubtful. And if you do have such a high ceiling, don't put it so high. Put it below 20 or more, below 31 feet. Now, when you're setting up the menorah on the front door of your house, make sure that's not too far away from your house. It should look like it came from your house. So, the poskim bring down, it should be it should be within 8 centimeters to the front door of your house so it looks like it's yours. But even if it's not exactly right in front of your house, it's, let's say, I don't know, it's about an amount or two away from your front door, as long as it's on your property, it looks like it's yours, obviously. So it looks like you lit it and you place it there. That's also fine. In the shul, how high does the menorah have to be? And again, the same halakha. Usually the custom in most shuls is that they take a regular plain table, a table of about 29 inches, and they place the menorah over there. But it should be placed high enough that everybody in the car should be able to see it. Remember, the purpose of lighting the menorah in the shul is to publicize a miracle, purely. Nobody's Yotzei Dehoba with the lighting of the menorah in the shul. Even the guy who made the berachot could go home and make berachot again. Why? Because you made it only in the shul as a minhag. A person who has to light is not Yotzei Dehoba with the lighting in the shul. He must go home and light it in his own house. So therefore, for the same reason, the menorah in the shul doesn't have to last so long. It doesn't have to light for 30 minutes like when we light it in our house. It could be lit for a few minutes. If you're scared to leave it on overnight, you could shut it off and walk out right away. Now that we discussed the location of the menorah, the last detail we need to discuss in the setup of the menorah is the types of oil to use. What's the khatala? What's the best oil to use when you light the menorah? And the answer is extra virgin olive oil. Why? That's exactly what the miracle took place with. The menorah and the Beit HaMikdash used to use Shemen Zayt Zach, pure, extra virgin olive oil. So that's the same thing you should try to get yourself extra virgin olive oil to use for your menorah. If not, regular olive oil also works. If you don't have regular olive oil, any oil that lights also works. Corn oil, sesame oil, I don't know what kind of oils else they make. You can make anything as long as it's, uh, it's clean, it's fine. And kosher, clean and kosher, it's fine. Why? Unlike the halakhot of Shabbat, and Shabbat we find a very interesting halakha. In Shabbat, there's a halakha that you can't use any oil. You have to use a specific oil that could catch well. That means it could light well. The, the flame wouldn't be flickering. Why is that so? Because on Shabbat, the purpose of lighting the candles is so that we should benefit from them. It should give us light. So if the flame 
is not lighting so well, we're scared you might play with the fire on Shabbat and come to the Nisudurite of Habara. However, on Hanukkah, there's an Isur to benefit from the candles. That means if a person is a smoker, he says, you know, let me light up my cigarette from the candles of the menorah, it's Asur. You wake up in the middle of the night, not in the middle of the night, but let's say your house is completely dark right after lighting it within 30 minutes, and now you want to check something, you want to use the light to check something, the electricity went off, you can't benefit, you can't use the lights of the menorah to check something. It's a suit to benefit from it. Which is the reason, by the way, why we light the shamosh. You know that extra candle that we light every night? The reason why we light the extra candle, besides the minhag of it, but the main the minhag started from the fact that we that we have um, the opportunity to use the shamosh, that extra candle, for our personal needs. So in case I need to light something, in case the electricity turns off, I can take from the shamosh the extra candle and use it for my own personal benefit. Okay, so now that you we discussed the best oils, what about wax candles? Can I use wax candles for Hadlakad near Hanukkah? The minhag is yes. The Ramah brings down the minhag, a lot of people were noheg to use wax candles. In fact, what I remember growing up in Syria, almost everybody used wax candles, barely used olive oil. I don't know if it wasn't available, people didn't have so much money, but you should know. The Maharal Meprag is brought down in Sharat Siyun that he holds that wax candles are pasul for Hanukkah since a miracle took place with olive oil and wax is not, a, is not, is not olive oil. However, the Halakha is not like him. As the Sharat Siyun points out, the name Mahatsi the Shekel, and you see the Ramah writes clearly, Nohagim Bebdinot Elul Halik Benotcha Sha'ava Ki Oran Saluki Moshemin. The Minahag is that everybody lights with it. So that's why the reason why we told you the Pidim Maharab Prague is to show you what's preferable. Although it's Kashir, but since somebody argues on this opinion of wax, so it'll be best to avoid the Mahlokid and bring yourself extra virgin olive oil. But if a person only has wax candles, light the wax candles with the Beracha. No problem whatsoever. Not Svaradim, not Ashkenazim. We don't say over here, Safik Brachot Lakel, the Minhag, is that people do use wax candles, and like we said, with a blessing as well. Question now is what about electric menorah? What's the deal with it? Could you use electric menorah? So in the past, I used to think it wasn't even a question, right? From what we read, I thought that, you know, electric menorah is always for sure a sword. And that's really the opinion of many, many, many Ahronim who say that electric menorah, that means you're lighting uh, the, your Hanukkah, your menorah candles with electricity, it's no good. Pasul. Who are they? Amongst the earlier ones, the Hart Sphere of C. Pesach Frank, Shut Mehashag, the Kafa Hayim, Hacham Obadiah as well, Yabi Omen, Hazan Obadiah. The reason why they possess electric candles is because it's not identical to the whole miracle that took place in the Beit HaMikdash. The Menorah in the Beit HaMikdash had oil and had a wick. Electricity doesn't have any oil, and there's no wick. What's, what's going on? It has nothing to do with it. However, I was surprised that there are some post-game big names that were material electric candles, even with the blessing, even with the blessing. Some of those matirim are the Oletzion, he says, as long as it's battery operated, you can light it and you can make a bracha on it. And Ravel Yashiv has brought in Kobitz Teshuvot. And there's a certain gadol, I have to verify from him, 
that's living amongst us that smash my friend that also he held that you could light Hanukkah candles with electric bulbs. However, however, I have to point out that even according to the Matilim, it will not work with those LED flashlights. Because the whole idea is that you have a light. When you have an LED flashlight or you have these LED lights, some of them, they have many bulbs together. In that case, when you have many bulbs in one bulb, you know what I'm talking about? You look inside, you see many small little bulbs, although on the outside it looks like one, that even the materim will be osir. That's domet shalhebet. The halakhat tells us you cannot light Hanukkah candles from a shalhebet. You know the, the candle that we use on Matzai Shabbat for Habdalah? That's called the shalhebet. It has more than one wick. Since there are two wicks where the basically two flames coming together, even though they're coming together, that's pasul for Nerot Hanukkah. That's the same thing with LED lights, the ones with the small little bulbs inside of them. So when you're dealing with the heter of electric candles, it has to be only the one, the old style one, you know, the ones with the regular bulb. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. And like we said, this is only according to minority of opinions. Most poskim hold you should not do it. As of Nisim Karel, it says, if a person's stuck and he has to do it, fine, you have no other choice, light the candles, the electric candles, but a sort to make a bracha on it. And that's what we tell you. For example, a guy who's stuck on an airplane, and it's the night of uh, Hanukkah, and he, nobody's lighting for him, he lives alone. So in that case, light a flashlight, as the poskim bring down, without a bracha, but make sure it's not an LED, because LED didn't gain anything. It has to be a single light, in order to qualify even for a light or of Hanukkah. Okay, we discussed now the setup of the menorah, the setup of the lights. We move on now to the next category that we have on our list, and that is the time to light. When is the best time to light the menorah? Like we said, when it comes to the location of the menorah, the location has to be in the place where it's most public. Likewise, the time when we light the menorah has to be in the time which is most public. Hazal gave us a certain time, as we'll discuss. The time was established on the fact that this is when most people are around and they could see it. It's also not too early that you can't notice it. Meaning to say, if you light in the middle of the day, Hazal tell us, If you have a candle in the middle of the afternoon, doesn't benefit you at all. Nobody can even see it. It's like the moon in the daytime. Did you ever notice the moon in the daytime? You have to look really close in the sky to see it. At night, the moon will shine much more, but not in the daytime because you already have the sun. Likewise, if you light the candles in the daytime, it's too early and won't benefit. So this section of the class is a little bit complicated. I will tell you that the opinions range, the time that you could light, even with a blessing, this halakha lima'aseh, it ranges from plaga manha all the way until alot hashahar. From plaga manha until all the way alot hashahar. But, as that the shame, obviously we want to know, what's the best time to light, and why are there so many opinions? So let's begin. We begin with the background of the Gemara. The Gemara tells us, that zmana, the time to light the menorah, is hama From the time the sun sets until literally means people stop walking in the market. 
What does that mean? What's that time from the time the sun sets until the Rashuk? So the three Amude Olam of Psak Halacha, Reef, Rambam, and Rosh explain this is a period of half an hour. Hazal tell us that the time of lighting Menorah is a half an hour. So the Gemara says, why? Why do you tell me this, this half an hour? What's this half an hour do for me? So the Gemara gives two answers. Answer number one is that from the time the sun sets, you have a half an hour to light. If you didn't light from the beginning when the sun set, then you have 30 minutes, half an hour to light. The other answer why we're giving you a time to light is to teach you how long you have to light. That means if you did light in the beginning of the time, which is when the sun set, you have to keep it lit until until people stop walking, which is a half an hour. The way to understand, you know, if we these two answers, if we go with both of them or one of them, is a big mahlok. It can create leniencies and stringencies in Akhan. There's Hamrod and Gulot with these two answers of the Gemara. And of course, you guessed it, there's a huge mahlok at Rishonim on which answer of the Gemara do we take? Do we take both answers? Do we take both answers Lehumra or do we take both answers Lekula? And which of the two answers do we take? So let's begin, first of all, with the earliest time to light. When is the earliest time to light? The earliest time to light, although San is like any mizvah of the night, any mizvah that has to be done at night could be done when it's necessary by plaga minha. For example, Sfirat Aumir, Bidi Abad, if a person can't Bidi Abad by plaga minha, it works. Likewise, if a person prayed Abit by plaga minha, it works. Is that the best time? No, but you could pray by plaga minha. Likewise, Halakat Nirot Hanukkah, which is certainly Mizad Rabbanan, if a person wants, not wants, but if it's necessary, as we'll see when that situation is created, when it's necessary, a person could light Nirot Hanukkah as early as Plaga Minha. However, as Maran writes, this is only Bish'at al-Dahak. The words of Maran are, Shimhu Tarud Yachol Akdim Plaga Minha. Only if a person is very tarud, is very, very busy, then you could go as early as Plagman Ha, but it's not like a talab. So what's the preferred time? The preferred time is based on how you learn Shekiah. We explained in Chot Shabbat that there's a huge mahlokid when Shekiah is, the Shekiah, the sunset in the Gemara. What, is, what does that mean? Going to the Geonim, Shekiah means what we call sunset, when the ball of the sun sinks under the earth. That's the sunset that you Google. According to the Benutam, sunset, there's two types of sunset. The sunset that the Gemara is talking about, the Shekhar the Gemara is talking about, begins 58 and a half minutes after the sunset that we know. Now, if you thought that's already going to become complicated, there's uh, more complications over here because there's a Mahloket. When the Gemara says Shekiah, that you light the menorah by Shekiah, there's a Mahloket between the Rishonim of light of one in doing shekiah do you light in the beginning of the shekiah or the end of shekiah what does it mean the beginning what does it mean the end beginning of shekiah means as the sun is setting the end of shekiah means what we call seta kochabim so therefore on average where usually hanukkah falls out around december late november the average time when the regular sunset is is around 4 30 so that means when you take all the different opinions combined together the range will be between 4.30 p.m. until 5.42 p.m. We're talking about 72 minutes of 
range of different times when to begin lighting the menorah. Not about when, how long it has to be lit for. It's about when to begin lighting. It's a huge mahlokit. So, practically speaking, when do we, when should one light? We have, guess what? A mahlokit. Let's list for you some of the more famous names. And Maran writes that the preferred time to light is 72 minutes after Shekiah. Hakam Ben says, in Eretz Yisrael, that is 25 minutes after Shekiah. Hakam Abadiah says, no, should begin lighting 15 minutes after Shekiah. The people who follow the Gran Eretz Yisrael, they light right after sunset. Rav Moshe Feinstein says here in America, 10 minutes after sunset, what we know as sunset. And of Aaron Cutler is quoted to say as, as holding that one should light 25 minutes after sunset. That's the earliest time to light. Like we said, the range goes from 4.30 until 5.42. Those are usually the, 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 the times that one is allowed to light. Latest time that a person could light, and the answer is, Hazatas regim nashuk. The Reef Rambam Rosh, as we called beforehand, said that's 30 minutes from whenever you begin lighting. Whatever that time that you hold that you must begin lighting, you have 30 minutes afterwards. That's how long your candles should last for and really delay time for you to be able to light. But again, this is all the preferable time. This is Lechat Abad, If a person uh, is very late, you can light all the way until Alot Shahar, which is around 6 a.m. However, some Ahrunim explained the ground which says Ashut Khrayrik is literally means until people actually come home, which means in our days, people come home around 7 8 from work. However, Kham bin Siyon, Kham said, No, Hazal already gave us a time. They said that the Khrayrik Minashuk is 30 minutes after when one begins to light, which is whatever you hold the beginning of lighting is. And 30 minutes afterwards, it's called the Kreibling Miragam Nashuk. Even though the times have changed, people come home a little bit later today, it doesn't make a difference. The time was already established from Hazal, and even though times have changed, the time from the Gemara did not change. And therefore, whenever you hold that you could light, 30 minutes afterwards is the latest time. That's the opinion of Magin Abraham and Hakam Avadiyah. But again, this is all an argument in what's the Khathillah. Because like you said, you have all the way until the morning, until Alot al-Shahat light, like we said, it's around 6 a.m. There is a Hiddush from the Magin Abraham who says, if a person comes home very, very late, and there's nobody walking in the street, then you should make sure that if you want to light with the Berakha, even though it's before Alot al-Shahar, you should make sure that two people besides you should also be awake. This is also the opinion of the Ben Ishai. Ben Ishai brings this. Magen Abraham, Mahamed Sion goes with it. Mishabra also brings it down. Although in Sha'arat Sayyun, he challenges the opinion of the Magen Abraham because, what does that mean? A guy who lives in a basement where nobody could see it and he lives alone, he shouldn't make a beracha. So, based on that, Hakam says, no, even if you come home very late, as long as it's before Allah to Shahar, you could light even with a blessing. So, if a person has such a situation, you can light with the Berakha even nobody sees it. But it's very hard to find such a situation. Like we said, nowadays people are still roaming the streets even till very late at night. So you probably have no problem lighting even very late as long as it's before Alot HaShahar. With this, we conclude our class. Next week, we'll continue. If anybody has any questions, you call in right now to the studio, 718-683-5858. Or you can text in at 347-927-8398.